do I really have to go talk to those people about this story I'm working on? Yes. Interviewing is so important. And I'm going to talk about how important it is, but I didn't just want you taking my word for it. So coming up, I chat with journalism curriculum expert Ivy Kaplan about the best practices for preparing for and doing a journalistic interview. Later on, I'll speak to Vin Capiello, a journalism advisor at Powell High School in Wyoming, spotlighting his staff of The Prowl at phsprowl.com. If you want to skip ahead to that interview, that's fine. It begins at about the 20-minute mark of this episode. This is Journalism 101, and I'm Alex McNamee. Please take your seat. Class is now in session. So Ivy, when you talk about interviewing, you know, really, I just feel like it's the basis for everything. You know, interviewing is everything in journalism. I like what you've said about the goal is that no journalistic story should not have interviews. And, you know, sometimes you, you see, you know, you have columns and you have reviews and things like that. Um, but even then some of the best columns that, can be interview-based. Um, some of the best reviews can be interview-based to understand what somebody was doing when they made these decisions, you know, things like that, trying to add perspective to your own opinion in a column. Don't you think that's the case? I mean, it's, it's from just at the base level of journalism, interviewing up there is one of the most important things. Yeah, I mean... The whole purpose, especially for journalists, when you're writing a story is to be objective. And really, unless you're writing a column, your personal opinion shouldn't come through. So in order to make your stories interesting, to give them any sort of voice um, and to incorporate opinions, you really need interviews. Because again, you can't use your own voice as the journalist and the author. So if you don't have interviews in a piece that you're writing, um, you're really, I think, doing a disservice to your readers because in that case, it's really just a bunch of facts mm -hmm. which can be dry. I always like to say, like, if you're not doing interviews and using interviews, you're basically either writing like some essay or if you're just doing, you know, research online, you're basically just writing some academic paper and it's not really a news article or a, a journalistic article. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So we have both been through a life of student journalism uh, through our education. So we've both been, you know, young little teenagers who are sort of scared to get out there and start talking to people, whether it's principals or whether it's, um, you know, other fellow students, but people who are not in our friend group, let's say. So I think that is one of the first challenges that student journalists face, especially at a high school level or at a college level, if you're just getting started, is working up the courage to go do these things. What advice would you have for how they can reach out, how they can make this a little bit less scary of a task that they're looking at? 
And the preface to your question honestly describes me perfectly, especially when I was <laughs> in high school. I was so shy mm -hmm. and going up to interview people, especially like it's not so much these days with COVID, but when we needed interviews for stories, we would go to our lunchroom and just need to approach people occasionally at, at random to get their opinions on things. You go to a study hall or something. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, that can be really intimidating. Um, what helped me specifically when I was in high school, I feel like I got a little bit more perspective when I was in college and afterwards, but I guess two things. Um, the first is to just know that the worst someone can say if you go up and ask them for an interview is no. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, unless they're being really rude, that's the worst that can happen is you just don't get an interview from that person. And also I tried to view approaching people for interviews as like an opportunity for me in terms of personal growth. Cause I'm like, okay, every time I successfully approach someone and get an interview with them, like that is me actively working to expand my circle that I know within the school. It's helping me improve my approach when I have to do that again in the future, because like I said, you're not going to stop needing interviews at any point. And over time, the more interviews you conduct, the easier it gets and the less intimidating it is. So I think you just really have to dive in and not be afraid. And I remember thinking about, you know, I don't know if this is how I was at the start of journalism in high school, but I remember at some point just the mindset of interviewing and who I was interviewing shifting from being nervous and scared to just being like this is really cool that I get to talk to this person and they get to have a certain conversation with me that they are not having with just like a kid in their class or a player on their team or something like that um, so you really have to kind of it helps to shift your mindset like that a little bit too as looking at it as an, an opportunity and I think one of the scary parts too is that you're going to mess up, that you're going to sound stupid. Um, so what, what do they need to do or what can they do? Simple things to prepare so that they are you know, not going to fail, I guess, at the interview. Not that you can fail, but still. Yeah, there's a couple of things, more tangible steps I think you can take before an interview to set yourself up for success. Um, the first one that I always do really on any topic of a story I wrote in the past is to do your research, um, whether it is a more comprehensive story you're writing or just something simple like a sports event that you're gonna cover. Like doing your research and being prepared and learning about that event is gonna help you out because then you have a background understanding of the topic um, that can help you also formulate more specific and intentional questions to ask people. So you're not just asking them general questions that you could find out somewhere else because people's time is valuable. Mm -hmm. And then also when you do that background research, oftentimes I've found, especially in more comprehensive articles, the research that you might find can then lead you to identify sources that you might want to talk to more. So doing that research helps you out in a couple of ways. So that's one thing that I always do and recommend. A couple other things I think you can do are preparing your interview questions. Mm. 
things that I personally try to do when I'm writing up interview questions is I always try to come up with way more than I think I'm going to need. Sometimes people tend to give really short answers. So then you can get through a bunch of your questions quickly. And if you have extra time, you want to make the most of it. So come up with more questions than you think you'll need. And that's awesome. something that's something that I did in high school and in college and in the professional field as well. Always had a list of questions in a specific order. Uh, some of the questions anticipating certain answers um, and then just trying to build from there. Yeah. So def and like you just said, definitely. I think like you should always be practicing active listening in an interview and be prepared to ask follow-up questions if you can kind of anticipate that someone might not give a super thorough answer. Mm -hmm. Also, when you're writing your questions, you want to make sure that they're open-ended. If you're asking questions that would lead to a yes or no answer and that's all you're getting back from your source, that's not their fault that those are the answers they're giving. You should be writing your questions in a way that encourages more of a dialogue or a conversation. Um, so that's something you can practice and definitely get better at too. I think the last thing you can do to set yourself up for success in a really like tangible way is just to make sure you're prepared in terms of equipment. So oh, yeah. I know a lot of people today, especially when all of us have our phones or a lot of us have laptops, it's really easy to um, use recording softwares to capture your interview for later on. So if you do want to go that like tech route, then make sure your equipment is charged, make sure it has appropriate space to store the interview because some of those files can be pretty large. Mm -hmm. But also, especially today, we're so tech dependent and there have been a couple of times when I was in high school and in my brief career as an actual writer where your yeah. equipment can fail and it will fail and it's embarrassing if you're not prepared. So no matter what, even if I am recording an interview, I also take notes, handwritten notes, and I always have um, a notepad and a pen just in case something goes awry. Yep. Yeah. And, and just as like a blanket statement for everybody who's listening to this, your ability to take notes will improve and change through your experience you, you could not read my handwriting in my reporter's notebooks. It looked like just sort of straight and sometimes squiggly lines, but it makes sense to me. And so that is enough for me to translate accurately uh, what they say. And, and to, to equipment too, you know, I still always go to the handheld little recorder um, not my phone, not my computer, you know, a computer seems weird. I don't want to like walk up to an interview or into an interview and have to set a laptop down and open something up and, you know, make them wait for me to get my whole production together. Um, so you need to be, I think, ready when you're going into an interview, not with a bunch of intimidating stuff, you know, just with a little stick that is a recorder, you know, whether it's just saving on the recorder or whether it is your phone, which is I'm sure fine, but uh, definitely remember to press record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is important. And I like what you said too. That's a really good point about your laptop going in with a computer, especially if you're doing an interview in person mm -hmm. is, if you're 
taking notes on a screen and you're typing, that is physically creating a barrier between you and the person you're interviewing. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're typing and taking notes that way, you're frequently then looking at your screen. Um, so yeah, I think either those smaller stick recorders or your phone placed to the side where you're not creating any sort of actual barrier and you can encourage that conversation to flow more naturally, um, those are definitely going to be better. Well, and with a laptop, you're almost, you're also, you know, let's say you're typing up and you're trying to transcribe in real time what they're saying. You're maybe trying to be a little bit too cute where you're typing something up and then all of a sudden you're backspacing because you spelled a bunch of stuff wrong. Um, you know, in my experience, don't worry about that. Um, when I would play a recording back and I would type it into a document, I would try to type at the pace of the recording and not press pause, not press stop at any point, just go. Um, and you also don't want these long breaks of silence between questions, right? Where you're trying to finish typing up something and then you're like, okay, and now my next question is this. And then you look back up from the computer and you're finally back at the person. That's not very personable. Exactly. Yeah. What are some of the important things to look out for or be doing during an interview? Um, so the first thing is, we talked about this a bit before, but if you do want to record them, you need to make sure you get that consent. In some states, it's actually illegal to record someone without their consent. So yeah. if you want to record, you need to ask them right away before you, I always do it at the very beginning. Um, and if you, that's intimidating, also just explain to them why you want to record it. Because I always said, so I can go back and double check quotes later on to make sure that they're accurate. Yeah. You can put like that pressure on you instead of on them. Cause some people find being recorded intimidating. After that, whether you have gotten their consent to record or not, at that point, you're going to start answering, asking your questions. And another thing there is you want to kind of build up in your interview. If you start off, especially if you're writing about something controversial. Oh yeah. You don't want to start off right away with your hardest question. <laughs> That's just going to make someone feel like they're on trial. Mm -hmm. So I always like to start off just asking people more general questions, just to kind of get a feel for who they are or what their role is or how they're familiar with the subject that I'm covering. You're warming them up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're kind of, you are. Um, and if nothing else, because for some people, small talk is hard to do. Mm. If nothing else, just start by asking them how to spell out their name, because that'll at least give you one question before you just jump right in. Even if you know how to spell their name, guys, even if you know, just throw it out there. Yeah. It up. <laughs> yep. So yeah, don't start off with your hardest question. Um, so then you get into actually asking your questions, which like you, we were talking about, you might have a list, uh, but something I wish I had learned or known when I was a younger student journalist is you also shouldn't be afraid to go off of your question list. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like sometimes I was so determined to stick to that list and that order that I would miss opportunities to follow up and get more valuable information. Mm -hmm. So you really want to actively listen to the person you're interviewing and 
if an opportunity arises to go down a path that maybe you weren't anticipating, but you think could lead to some good quotes or information, don't be afraid to do that. And I think it totally takes experience to get to that point. I think it took me a while too to branch off of my list. But the I think the thing that you have to be in the mindset of thinking of is if they're talking and you're listening to them and something uh, that they say occurs to you that I want to ask about that, then do it. Like go for it because you can always return to that hard piece of paper that has your list of questions on it. Exactly. Yeah. One other thing, especially I think is important for student journalists and still to this day, like it's intimidating if there's silence in an interview, Mm -hmm. we have a need to, or this, we have a tendency inherently to want to fill silence because that can be awkward, but sometimes just giving or leaving a second or two of silence can be really powerful. Um, There's a phrase called the pregnant pause where Maybe you ask someone a question and they finish answering you and then you're writing notes or something. So then in that case, they actually feel the need to fill the silence. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can lead to really great quotes or information too. So don't be afraid of a couple of seconds of silence. It's not going to hurt anything. It's a standoff at that point. Yeah. And see who folds first. (laughs) Exactly. It's kind of a power move. I guess the last thing I've learned over time when it comes to interviews, whenever I'm wrapping up an interview, the last thing I always ask is, is there something else you want to add or what did I forget to ask? Because maybe there's something that they really wanted to talk about that my questions just didn't give them an opportunity to, um, or they want to share something that they find interesting that I didn't even know about to ask. So That's always how I like to conclude my interviews, just by leaving a little bit of time for um, that flexible conversation that maybe didn't come up before. Mm -hmm. And in respect to that, in this interview, is there anything else that you want to say? (laughs) I guess the one more thing I would tell student journalists is, so we talked about transcribing Mm -hmm. your interviews a little bit, going back and listening to them and getting your quotes that you're going to use in your story. And I always, and still to this day, really dislike doing that because you need to listen to yourself while you're listening to the person that you're interviewing. (laughs) But if you can get over how cringy you think your voice sounds, I think listening to yourself can provide really valuable feedback and can be a really great way to improve your interviewing because you can identify trends when you're conducting an interview, like, oh, do I cut people off? Or am I asking yes or no questions? Things like that, I think can really help you improve your skill. You can reevaluate yourself like, oh, I should have asked a question there following up on what they just said. That's a missed opportunity. I think uh, when I listen back to myself, I feel like it sounds like I have a stuffed up nose 100% of the time. This is exactly why I can't ever listen to any of these podcast episodes after I publish them. I I hate it. Um, But uh, we all got to get over that at some point. (laughs) Exactly. Especially when you're listening to yourself, you always hear like the one word you say all the time over and over and you can get focused in on that. But that feedback and that review can be really valuable. 
Yeah, don't be too hard on yourself, everybody, for saying um too many times because I'm 30 years old and still doing it. <laughs> I do that with like. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Oh man, that's what you take speech classes in college to try to rid out of your body, but no, yeah. <laughs> doesn't quite work. Thank you, Ivy. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you want more from Ivy, like what to do after you've left the interview, check out her lesson plan on conducting an interview and more at snowsites.com slash curriculum. That's S-N-O sites slash curriculum. And now here's my interview with Vin Cappiello from a few weeks ago. Vin, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me this morning. Glad we could uh, connect and talk for a little while while we have some uh, time here. Um, first of all, you are talking to us from Powell, Wyoming. Can you just kind of, you know, I don't know Wyoming. I, I don't know, obviously, Powell, Wyoming. Tell me a little bit about the, the town. You know, what's it like there today? Powell sits uh, about an hour and a half uh, east of the uh, east entrance to Yellowstone National Park in northwest Wyoming. Uh, it's about 25, 30 miles from Cody, which is the county seat for Park County. Uh, our high school has about 600 kids, grades 9 through 12. Uh, it's a rural community, um, farms and ranches, but there's also a junior college uh, that sits a mile or two away from the high school. Uh, town of about oh seven thousand six seven thousand uh in in park county uh, about an hour and a half from billings montana okay uh, it's a it's a great place to to teach a great place to raise kids uh you know of course every every community has its challenges but pal is, is a pretty cozy uh community yeah and um are you from wyoming or how did you end up advising in in Powell? You know, I know that we're, we're trying to keep this under a half hour, so I'm going to give you the short form. Yeah. Uh, essentially, we've, my wife and I uh, moved to Cody in 2001, and I was the managing editor of the Cody Enterprise, hmm. uh, twice weekly, founded by Buffalo Bill. Uh, they take a lot, of, a lot of pride in that. I had been uh, between newsrooms and classrooms for several years. Uh, we had been in southern Idaho for quite a while. So originally I'm from New York. My wife's from Ohio. We're both Ohio University graduates. Uh, she in elementary ed, me in uh, journalism. I went to the Scripps School of Communications. Okay. And uh, uh, went to a newspaper in Idaho. And then, so we ended up here about 20 years ago. And I taught and advised at uh, Cody High School. I took a year off and went back to the newspaper uh, 2015, 2016. Uh, to be full editor of the Cody Enterprise, but I really missed uh, teaching. Mm. And so I was able to get on here at Powell High, uh, which they're rival high schools, which is kind of fun. <laughs> on the other side of the rivalry. Uh, so that's how I wound up here teaching English and journalism. Okay. So you're in a small community. Um, you know, I, I know we've uh, just kind of briefly talked a little bit about your um, program, but let's go over that again, obviously playing an interesting role um, in, in the Powell community there. It really is. Uh, in 2016, Northwest College, which had a very successful journalism program, uh, 
due to some budget cuts and some other uh, unfortunate circumstances had to discontinue their journalism program, mm. which Dennis Davis had, had established for a long time. And then Rob Breeding advised for a long time. And, and uh, these are, these were household names in Wyoming in terms mm. of uh, college level journalism. Uh, so then the, the kids were without a voice on the campus. Um, here at Powell High School, they had yearbook, but they hadn't had a bona fide either print or online newspaper program for I think it was six, maybe seven years. So about halfway through my first year here, which would have been 2016, 2017, I approached then principal Jim Kuhn about reestablishing an online program. We were up and running very fast and we had set some goals. The kids I recruited and I, you know, I give, I give kids what I call the no option option when I recruit them for journalism. And I recruit a lot of them right out of my English nine classes and English 10 classes. And there's some kids who want to take it and some kids I don't give the choice. So that first core group of kids uh, were instrumental in, in getting the program off the ground. We were up and running by September of, of fall, I want to say of 17. Okay. And um, I can tell you that when we sat down to do our schedule for that school year, we had 45 kids who wanted to take journalism. Wow. We had to cut that in half, which was really unfortunate. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm at the point where we're, we're anywhere from 16 to 20 every semester. Uh, we try to make it a full year class. Uh, we were phsproud.com is our site. And, uh, Really, we're up and running, and uh, I, I always joke with the kids that you know a true journalism advisor, if he's doing his job right or she's doing her job right, you, you get to the point where you're drinking Pepsi and eating sunflower seeds while they run things, <laughs> and make sure they're not committing an act of libel. And, and I'm being somewhat facetious, and yet uh, my editor team right now, uh, th these are kids who have been in the program three full years. They they know how to run the program, and and. Uh, Abby Landwehr is my editor this year. She was the free spirit journalist for Wyoming last year. Rachel Kuntz was editor last year. She was also a free spirit journalist. Uh, and then Lucy Jane Krim is going to be our candidate this year. And they're, they've been the core group for, for some time. So uh, I hope that answers that question. But this, this community was without a voice, a true voice for students for a long time. And we are we feel as if now we're giving the kids that voice yeah what do you feel when a college like that drops its eliminates its program what do you feel that the community loses in that situation and um, how do you feel you guys have tried to bring that back the impact that the student voices had that that the the, the discontinuation of uh the Trapper, which was the, the name of the... Mm, I like name. it. Yeah. <laughs> they're, well, it's the Northwest College. I think they're the Trappers. I think that's their, that's their mascot. Okay. Uh, the, that was a really unfortunate uh, turn of events. You know, you talk about the perfect storm, and there were just a lot of things working against them. And in, in my opinion, and I was editor of the Enterprise at the time, and so I was working with Rob Breeding to try and get the word out about what was going on. There was a lot of conflict about certification and um, the um, 
the accreditation of the program and mm. degrees and there was some political baloney there was some budget baloney and the bottom line honestly the bottom line was that uh, the kids lost the kids lost a true voice they had on the campus and and honestly a college campus has to have the voice of the students mm-hmm. and it, it, it it's a void that still exists on the campus the, uh, those kids don't have a place where they can truly, other than social media, where yeah. they can really uh, address issues that need addressed. And if, if you follow the news, Northwest College is facing a lot of cuts. Uh, they're, they're, the president uh, just took a job at MSU Billings. Uh, they're looking at cutting teaching positions. But again, last year, the kids started kind of an underground paper a little bit. Uh, it was... It was <laughs> One of the kids was my form, a former student of mine. All right. Journalism program. <laughs> <laughs> but you ask me how I feel about it, and it, it disappoints me because let's look at the, the current political climate of our country uh, and the relationship that people have with members of the media. Uh, this, this certainly didn't help, even though it was a few years ago. I feel like maybe we've, we've filled a little bit of that void, at least for the high school kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was especially important during the quarantine. And yeah. we also work with our uh, counseling department. If you notice on our, our homepage, we have a, t- a pull down tab that says counseling, PHS counseling. Um, they use uh, the Prowl site for all their senior calendar and all the scholarship links and things like that. And we were happy to, to give them that space on the website. Uh, so I think we're filling some of the void but honestly, without at least an online presence at Northwest College, those kids are continuing to lose out. How much does your program, do your kids um, really, and, and you know, obviously things might be different now during this pandemic, but, but how much do your kids try to um, you know, expand their coverage further out into the community um, rather than maybe just uh, the school building or the school population, uh, you know, in order to maybe cover a few more bases um, for people who might be reading. That's a tough sell. We sure. truly believe the core of our readership is the 600 kids at Powell High School. And, and I, I push that angle. And I always have in my years of advising that, yes, we have administrators and teachers who are our peripheral audience. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, who are we really writing for? And that that's for our student body. Now, kids post links all over the place. That's great. I mean, we want that upward trajectory. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading. Uh, and, and, but it, it's hard. I, and I, I, I don't know that, that that's where we want to go yet is out too far. Um, but I also know that if I've got, if there's something going on in Cody that is somehow proximate to what we're doing here, my kids are going to cover it. They're, they're definitely going to cover it. Yeah. You mentioned how important you feel um, having a, a student publication, having student voices has been during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, what challenges have you faced with, with that? And, and how have you seen the value present itself um, here over the last, oh, you know, whatever it is, nine months or whatever now. So we went to remote learning on March 16th. 
It's, it's funny. That's like the magic date in everybody's mind. Oh, March 13th or March 13th was our last day of school. And then March 16th, the quarantine started. And my kids last year, I have to give them credit that last week of school, because we were getting ready to start spring break March 16th. So we had that week off anyway. And then they gave us another week to kind of get ready for online learning. Well, my kids saw the forest for the trees. They, they could see this coming. And uh, Rachel Kuntz, who was my editor at the time, kind of sat down with me and with Abby, who's editor this year. And we said, okay, if we go to quarantine, what's it going to look like, Cap? And I said, all right, let's just, let's, let's make a plan ahead of time. So the kids knew, the kids knew exactly what to do. And at, last year, I think I had 12 or 14 in the class second semester. And those kids were on it. They, they did not wait at all. And I think if, if you go back and look, I, I want to say we wrote somewhere in the vicinity of about 30 or 40 stories. Wow. And most of those had a COVID angle. And we were doing everything from tips to be better at online learning, uh, mental health uh, tips and, and places you could call or text or visit. Um, the fact that the public library was closed, uh, mm -hmm. but that you could do a drive-by uh, book checkout. Uh, so the challenges we had was we just simply didn't have the face-to-face. -face. Uh, yeah. But flip side, uh, it it tested our metal and it tested our organization. We realized we had some organizational things we had to improve on, but our editing cycles were solid. We zoomed two, three times a week. We had standard times that we zoomed. I did what I call the Thursday style stumper. So mm -hmm. I would. I would post something on Remind and the mm -hmm. kids would then go in and try to figure it out in time for our Zoom that afternoon. And then on Fridays, I had a, a meeting with just the editors. And, and so it showed us the things we do really well. And I think what we do well is we have such a good foundation uh, of, of our, how, we, how we implement our news cycles. Mm -hmm. But it also showed us that uh, we still had some work to do because reporting was a challenge. You couldn't just go three doors down, knock, interview a kid and get a quote and plug it in. It took longer. And I am horribly impatient. Uh, or I'm just very passionate. I tell the kids they've got to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> and are you guys still all virtual now or what's your school status, status at this point? We went back to face-to-face -to -face in August okay. and we're still face-to-face. -face. Okay. So has, you know, some of the things that you guys learned or, or picked up or fine-tuned from being virtual. Have you seen uh, certain traits continue as far as, you know, areas you could improve, um, even though, you know, it's different, you're in person now, you're face-to-face -face compared to virtual? Yeah, I think one of the big challenges, Alex, that you're going to hear more about is uh, the, the mental health challenges that, mm -hmm. that kids faced. And from a journalism standpoint, there's, I, I just really, Really noticing it now this semester that even some of my kids who are more confident in the face-to-face -face interviewing are are having a little trouble getting back to that real basic journalistic skill of the face-to-face -face interviews. So mm -hmm. Abby and I have sat down and looked at some uh, exercises we can do, uh, and it's it's really going back to the basics of understanding that you're asking someone to share their story with you, you have the privilege of retelling that story and making sure they're comfortable telling it, 
making sure you're comfortable asking the questions that need to be asked, breaking the ice a little bit through that initial email, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was a, a, a cub reporter back in the 80s and I had to cover events, I was always nervous about talking to people that I don't know. That is still the case for a lot of kids. And then you throw the quarantine lockdown, you know, isolation stuff on top of that. Yeah. I think that's a story that that is continuing to be written that we have to be taking care of ourselves better. And from like I said, from the journalistic standpoint, it's understanding that kids may be reluctant to talk face to face with you because the lockdown affected them in ways that we're not, we still really haven't uh, gathered all that data. Uh, I hope that answers your question, but yeah. that's something we're just now noticing. Yeah, so that's really interesting. You know, the lockdown lasts so long that you don't even think about or realize how it's changing you socially. Um, and that, you know, now these journalists have to relearn how to pursue and execute these interviews with people in person, face-to-face. Uh, -face. That's really um, hard to imagine. It is, and what we've what we've tried to do. Um, there are some kids, you know, you're not going to have any trouble with at all. Mm -hmm. And and and, but do we want to have those 10, 12 kids constantly quoted in the prowl? Of course not. <laughs> we we want to give you know one of our goals is every kid's name appears in a story at least once during the school year. Mm -hmm. The yearbook advisor has the same goal, uh, and and uh, you, you just got to find those kids and, and kind of lead them by the hand a little bit. So we do a lot of the initial contact via email. The kids do, do that initial contact via social media. And I'm okay with that, but there's, you know, there's nothing that compares with the feel you get from the face-to-face -face, mm -hmm. where you truly understand the emotion or lack thereof involved in whatever, whatever story you're writing. So we've been working to, to, to reestablish uh, some confidence. I think that would be the best best word to use that maybe faded a little bit during the pandemic, during the quarantine. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like usually too, the, the conversation um, that you're having looking back at um, the, the quarantine and the lockdown from school as journalists is, you know, a lot of people kind of reached a panic of, you know, oh, how can I even be a journalist now that we're all virtual, all of our sources are gone. Like you said, they're not three classroom doors down the hallway. Um, what did you and your students have to do to readjust to that aspect, the virtual way of going about pursuing stories and pursuing interviews? What did you learn there? We, when we uh, would have our Tuesday meeting, uh, we'd always, we met at via Zoom at two o'clock every Tuesday. And we'd go through our budget for the week. Uh, and then I would then let the, the editors meet individually with kids in small groups and whatnot. And we talked about how, okay, you know, a million years ago when Cap was a reporter, he would just pick up the phone and call somebody and interview them via the phone. Mm -hmm. and, and it's almost like deer in the headlights, like, what? Like, not, <laughs> and really that's, if you can't do face-to-face, -face, that's option two now. And it always has been. So we, we talked a little bit about getting your questions prepared ahead of time, which you know you have to do. Uh, how to record on your phone when you're talking on the phone mm -hmm. with somebody. Uh, 
all the different things that where you can preserve the data and the conversation, whether it's voice memo on your phone or some other way to record it, the importance of having that, the importance of making sure you're taking notes. So there were some old and new that we threw together. Uh, contacting sources uh, like kids, staff, community members, probably not that, not that different than what we were already doing. And I'm proud to say that my kids have been real good about learning how to do that. I have the kids pair up a lot, especially the younger reporters with an experienced reporter. So a kid like Abby Landwehr, who's last year was a junior, who we knew was gonna be editor this year, uh, working with a first semester reporter who was reluctant, those two would pair up a lot. So when our big class Zoom was over, those two would stay on, talk. And you know, I, I'll be honest with you, Alex, I put a lot of responsibility on my student editors. Mm -hmm. I, I think you know you could advise, I could advise, but that third party gives that advice. And if it's a peer, a lot of times that's going to be much more valuable and effective for whatever reason. They could say exactly the same thing you and I say, but if it came from a peer, oh, then it's got to be gospel. That's got to be right. Mm -hmm. and so Abby's done a great job uh, and Rachel did last year. Those two really handled the bulk of that responsibility that you're talking about, like coaching the kids up on how to get the info. Journalism 101 is a production of School Newspapers Online. The music in this episode comes from Pixabay. My interviews with Ivy and Vin were recorded via Zoom. The episode was edited on Audacity and uploaded through Anchor FM. You can find more episodes and hit subscribe to hear future episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. There's no homework today. We'll see you next time.